Welcome back to the Wellspring Podcast. Last week, we started a conversation with Jennifer Min about fostering and her book, Faith to Foster. And uh, we're continuing that conversation this week. Thanks for joining us again. And we're just going to ask some questions, Tyler and I, uh, of Jennifer and uh, her experience with her husband, TJ, and fostering. And uh, Jennifer, thanks for coming back and being back with us this week. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being here. Tyler, um, thanks for being here as well yeah. and for joining the conversation. Um, you know, last week we talked about uh, your book, about um, just some of the process of, uh, of being a foster parent, uh, the, some of the pain, but also the benefit, why believers should, why Christians should, uh, should be foster parents. And I just wanted to continue that conversation this week. Um, what are, what's, what's the process to becoming a foster parent? Yeah, so every state and really every agency is different. So in most areas, there's more than one option of how to become a foster parent. You can always go directly with the county that you live in and just call up their Department of Children's Services and they'll tell you about their next informational meeting. And there's usually a child, a private option for like a child placement agency. And one reason that people go with child placement agencies, such as I think Missouri Baptist is one that's in the area, and mm-hmm. um, is there might be um, additional services that they offer families who foster. And one of the benefits of going directly with the county is that there are less individuals who are all in the loop with communication. So sometimes it's a little more direct with your communication and the type of children that you might be placed with. Um, a county will usually try to place with county foster parents first. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it's usually the first step is just an info meeting and there's no cost associated with training. And then the next would be to commit to training. And at any time you can kind of bail out. In fact, we've had a lot of friends who have gone through training um, and even some of the home study and never accepted placements, but everyone said, but I'm glad I did the training. I've never had anyone say that was a waste of time. I wish I would have never done the training. Like most people say it helped me in my own parenting or it yeah. gave me a great perspective. And so I'd encourage people. It sounds like a lot to bite off when you say, you know, once a week training for 10 weeks. Um, but it's, it's valuable um, use of your time. And then after that, someone comes out to your home and does a series of interviews to just get to know your background, how you were parented, what sort of traditions you have, and then just also like check out your space, make sure you have room for a child. Yeah, that's great. So if you're listening to this, you should at least check out the information meetings. That's the encouragement for uh, for us. Right? Yeah. Huh. What's, so you're through one of the, uh, a state agency, it sounds like, um, right. based, based on our conversations. Did it matter that you were people of faith? Did that did that have any barrier at all? No, they were encouraged by our faith for sure. And a lot of, it depends on what area you live in, I suppose. But uh-huh. most counties seem to be pretty um, supportive of church engagement. And part of the reason is because the church has a great community support system. Yeah. Tyler, you have any? Well, just thanks again for, for being here. I've learned a lot from just listening to you um, talk about uh you and your husband's experience with um, uh, with foster care, and, and so Thanks. just thank you for that. Um, I've I've learned a lot. Last week you said um, that there are um, there are more children than than homes and, and spots uh, for them. Can you give us just kind of? I'm sure it changes county to county, state by state, but at least just in your context, um, what are the number? What do the numbers look like? Like how many um, kids need need to be placed somewhere, and how many how many beds or homes 
or right. they're available. So it ebbs and flows, you're right, depending on what city you're in. Um, a lot of the country has been hit with an opioid crisis that has definitely risen the number um, because it's pretty typical that if there are drugs in a home um, actively being used that a child will be, like that needs to be addressed before the child can continue living there. And also if there's drugs involved, there's usually a minimum time limit of six months being clean. And so you're looking at kids being in care longer than if it were a different issue that could be corrected sooner. Um, so where we live in Tennessee, there's we're in a town of about 100,000 and there are about 300 kids in care at any given time. And I think, I don't know the numbers for our the amount of homes there, but I think it's about a three to one ratio of children in care needing homes versus families that are there to provide. So 100 homes, 300 kids that need homes. Yes, and so what you have in those situations are that um, they either are sending out letters to the foster family saying, please consider expanding the type of children or how many children you can handle and kind of pressuring in those calls or, and um, they have children going to residential facilities. So. You, you might have children that have been placed in therapeutic homes or therape therapeutic, more like what we'd consider orphanages would be a more common word, or like a short-term shelter sometimes, where they don't need that sort of structure. Um, in other count, I mean, there have been stories that have hit the news about kids staying in juvenile facilities, like, um, like a detention home, even though they're not in trouble, just because that's a bed that the government has for them. And you can imagine how that affects a child yeah. when they think it's their fault already that they're being split up and then they're being sent to jail for it. Yeah. What typically, based on your research and experience, uh, kids that don't have good foster families or good homes to, to go to live in, um, what happens to them as they move towards adulthood? Um, why do we need, I mean, I've already asked the question, why do we need good, right. good foster, uh, families, but it, yeah. how would you, in that context, based, you know, kind of framing the question in that direction, yeah. why, why should good families <laughs> sign, sign up based on the kids' right. outcomes? Well, what I think you're hitting at is that it's foster care is such a vulnerable time for children. Yes. And anytime we're in vulnerability, there's a lot of shaping that can happen. And for a child, that shapes a trajectory often for their whole life. And so statistically, adults who spent time in foster care as a child are three times as likely to end up incarcerated or homeless or involved in human trafficking. Um, and if they were foster children right before adulthood, like they aged out while they were in the care of the government, the statistics are usually higher that I mean, over half are homeless within the first 90 days. Um, and homeless can doesn't necessarily mean under a bridge, uh -huh. sleeping in a tent, but has have experienced some part of just not having belonging. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, we have, we have felt and we have seen that even being able to shape a child during that time of vulnerability and provide safety and stability and love, I mean, that's kind of... Like, I'm not talking about providing like cable and vacations uh -huh. and yeah. great schools or just anything. Just safety. Yes. Just safety. Just safety and stability and love. love. Being yeah. able to just be there um, has really made a lifelong impact. It's been fun as some of the children we've had have hit adulthood and we've been able to either reconnect with them or stay connected with them and see just the, the people that they've become and feel like, yeah, God let us have a hand in that. Yeah, that's great. Um, Jennifer, what are some of the, some of the barriers that you guys have, have faced either in, 
when you were getting into foster care or um, as you've been um, uh, a foster family? Um, and then also, how is the how is your church and your community uh, come alongside you to to support you in that so that um, so that we can sub- maybe learn how, how others have supported you and we might support others as well. Right. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I'll start with the barriers. I think for us personally, my husband has been active duty army the whole time we've been foster parenting. And so moves and deployments have been big barriers. Um, and, and I, so I could even make that more general to say, just like work, right? Like yeah. this, this sense of, well, I can't be a stay at home parent or I can't, um, you know, we're not going to be a two parent household. Isn't it better for a child to have both a mom and a dad in the home? Or aren't we just adding more transition into their life? You know, just all kinds of questions that we can tell ourselves that make it seem like it'd be better off to just not. And so we've, we've pushed through that. And there've been plenty of times where I've been fostering while TJ was in Iraq, or we've had kids that were with us and went to an aunt while he was deployed to Afghanistan and he had to say his goodbyes early because he knew they'd be gone. Um, and during, during those times in particular, when I'm in like single parent mode, the church has been super supportive. We had the youth group, um, come on over and like mow our lawn and rake our leaves and wash my windows. Just like simple acts of service that, I mean, I had four kids under four and a 12 year old. I didn't know how I was going to get those things done when that was happening. And, Um, So like just practical day-to-day life tasks, Um, bringing over meals has been a solid like pillar every time we've gotten a new placement. It was helpful for us to just have one contact person like in our small group or our Sunday school class that reached out to us and said, hey, we'd love to provide meals for you. Not necessarily how can I help, like a broad question, but they said something specific, like, would it be helpful if we brought you over meals? And I'd be like, yes. Or would it be helpful if we came over and watched your kids so you can like go run an errand? Yes. And sometimes I would say no, but, and give an option. And I think TJ and I are both pretty independent, like self-sufficient, you know, American rugged individualists. (laughs) Um, And so we had to learn to just say yes and to ask for help too. Um, We've also really seen the church reach out as the body to birth families in ways that... What do you mean by birth families? So the parents or the cousins, like the relatives of the children that are in our care. Okay. So while their birth dad or birth mom um, is working on a case plan or working on getting into housing, we could ask... You know, we had access to those families that we're while we were caring for their kids to ask them for how can we help you? Would it be helpful to provide furniture as you move into your new place? And then we could turn around and ask the church, hey, guys, we have this great family that's almost ready to get their kids back. And the only thing standing in the way is, you know, X, Y, Z. And the church has always been faithful to really step up. And we've been encouraged by that for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. It really sounds like it's... It's not just you guys. It's a community effort. It's a it's a missional effort of the church to to minister to these kids and and their families. Definitely, and really the community too. Like we've met so many great professionals. A lot of foster children have therapeutic needs, whether that's occupational therapy or they're behind in school. And so we've gotten really close with um, teachers as a result of this, with social workers, and that's been sweet 
I think I knew becoming a foster parent that we would have a ministry to children, right? That's Mm -hmm. like, oh, rescue the orphan, love the orphan. But I had no idea how it would allow me to be a light, God willing, into relationships with my neighbors who I otherwise would not have met or with the social service agency to just encourage them, making sure that every time I send them an email asking about something for the kids, just include encouragement because they're being worked to the bone Um, and a lot of other people in the community. That's been, I feel like on a day to day, that feels just as much as the effort that's spent like loving the children. Um, Yeah. That's great. That's great. What, if there was something else, just anything that you would want to know, um, it's kind of as we wrap this up, um, what, what is, what would that be? Maybe something that Tyler and I have missed in our conversation right. that you would say, this is, this is so important. Um, as we, uh, you know, as you, as you we talk to the, those that are listening mm-hmm. uh, this week. You know, I think it's Rosaria Butterfield in a book that she recently wrote on the gospel and hospitality. She encourages people to work that in our society to love your neighbor often requires working with an agency. You know, we might think like, oh, I'm supposed to like love people that are in situations where they're in need. But because of the way America is structured, to be able to have access to those people often requires a strong partnership. And so I think the church, for better or for worse, sometimes feels uncomfortable with working with other agencies and partnering in a way. It seems like, oh, I wish our church could just be doing this. Mm -hmm. But to just see that that's a God-given partnership that's there for us to also engage with the county or with the child placement agency to to have access and i think with that to say um like one step at a time you know we when things can feel really overwhelming when we think we need to have it all together before we start and waiting for the perfect time to become engaged in any ministry um, in particular, foster care, since that's what we're talking about. Yes. There's never going to be a perfect time. You know, that's like waiting for the ocean to stand still. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Just take yeah. one step at a time in the right direction and take it as it comes. Yeah, that's a great word. Just as, a, especially as a church leader, encouraging partnerships and finding ways for us to partner individually, families, and then as a church, finding ways to partner with organizations um, to reach our neighbor. That's a great word. Thanks. So thanks for being with us, Jennifer, the last couple of weeks. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.